Awesome. Morena, Fano. Here we go. It's going to be a great next three weeks as we dig into the things of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a heap of fun. And also, uh, as Pastor Shane will tell us later, we're doing three evening services over the next three weeks, uh, 5 p.m., just for us to come together and spend more time in worship. Uh, here's some Holy Spirit ministry. Pastor Bob is going to be speaking tonight, which is going to be flipping awesome. So we're very much looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be great. How's everyone doing? Everyone doing all right? Happy, holy, healthy, keeping out of trouble? Oh, yeah, a little, maybe keeping out of trouble. Awesome. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be great. So we're starting a new series, which is really focusing on the truth of a prophecy that was given both by the prophet Joel and then also the prophet Isaiah around about 700 years before its fulfillment. This prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days or roughly seven weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection. And, uh, and just over a week after Jesus' ascension to heaven, of course, Scripture tells us that after he was resurrected, he kind of hung around and uh, did a bunch of things for about 40 days. And so what we're looking at today is this outpouring that Jesus spoke about, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is now available to everybody, as opposed to historically, it was only available to prophets, priests, and kings. But now because of what Jesus has done, he's made a way and the Spirit has been poured out, it's available to anybody, literally anybody who puts their faith in him, which is an astonishing, game-changing thing. Now, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, several, um, several months after I got saved. I got saved in a gas station in Manukau Road, as some of you have heard me share, that gas station is no longer there. Uh, in fact, when we first came back to Auckland, I went for a look to see if it was there, but it's not surprisingly been mown down and put into apartments. So uh, welcome to Auckland. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so I got saved in that gas station, and, um, but it was sometime after that, probably a couple of months, that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't one dramatic moment for me. For me, it unfolded over a couple of weeks. You know, I'd heard about this baptism in the Holy Spirit. I was convinced that as a Christian, it was the right thing for me, that if this is what God had for me, then I wanted it. Um, so I went and just prayed in my bedroom, asked God to baptize me in His Spirit and uh, give me the gift of tongues and the other gifts of the Spirit. And as I'd spent some time in prayer, uh, I wasn't getting much. It, was, uh, it wasn't quite what I thought. The sudden, you know, I just was going to feel something different. But um, as I began to ask God for the gift of tongues, I, I really only got kind of one word. One word, which is kind of not what you expect, really. You're expecting this wonderful language. You hear other people speaking in, lung, in, in, in tongues, and I got one, one word. But, you know, I, I wanted it, so I was faithful. So I just practiced what I had, uh, which meant that I primarily did that on my bike late at night when I was riding places, because the one word I had, if you said it over and over, it sounds remarkably like you're a chicken. So the one word I got, I don't know, the sound I had was kind of like took, I don't know. So I'm riding around. If you'd been standing on the side of the road in Dunedin as I was cycling past late at night, you would have heard this guy going tuk, 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 It was somewhat embarrassing. But like I wanted it, right? So I'm just going to just trust God. And then it was probably about 10 days after that. We're in the church one evening. It was a young adult's night. And one of the girls one of our friends was just going through a tough time. So we kind of got her in the middle and we all gathered around her and different ones were praying for her. And, and, and I was praying for her at this particular time and you know, just so, so felt the difficulty she was going through and so wanted God to break through you know, and, and help her. And it was, it was kind of like I just ran out of English. 
And what happened when I read out English was just this other language just came out of my mouth. And that was the start for me of speaking in tongues. It was quite an extraordinary thing. And so today, we're going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, which means, of course, we need to start by talking about the Holy Spirit, specifically Him, the third person of the Trinity. We see Him throughout Scripture, from Genesis, where we're told that it was the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep as God began to create the heavens and the earth, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, where we see the Holy Spirit orchestrating so many significant events in the early church in the book of Acts, all the way through to Revelation. You know, the Holy Spirit is such an incredibly important part of the Godhead for what God is doing on the earth today. And Jesus spoke about it multiple times. Let me give you some of these. And today we are going to be going to the Scriptures again and again. So please forgive me if I'm a little bit in my notes. But it's important that we understand the theological and biblical basis for what we are talking about. So in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said, When the Advocate comes, which is his name for the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, that's another name, that he used, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. We get the sense of the, the Godhead working together. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. In fact, unless I go, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And then in verse 13, when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. There's a very much a picture here, right? That Jesus had to go in order to send the Holy Spirit to us. You know, there's a story told about the great Norwegian explorer, Roald Amundsen, the first person to discover the magnetic meridian of the North Pole and the first person, of course, to discover the South Pole. And on one of his trips in the Arctic, Amundsen took a homing pigeon with him. And when he finally reached the top of the world, he opened the bird's cage and set it free. Now, can you imagine for a moment the delight of Amundsen's wife back in Norway when she looked up from the doorway of her home to see this pigeon circling and coming into land because it meant one very important thing. It meant that he was alive, that he had got to where he was going, and that he had sent the messenger pigeon as he promised. You know, when the Holy Spirit arrived on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, it meant one thing. I mean, Jesus was alive. It meant he had got to where he was going and that he had sent the dove of the Holy Spirit as he promised. Jesus said in Luke 24, I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power. Interesting, isn't it? Clothed with power from on high. And then he spoke of the spirit baptism in Acts 1 verse 5. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, and when that happens, he said, you will receive power from, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And the book of Acts records that that's exactly what happened from Jerusalem and then out throughout the province of Asia. First in Jerusalem, let me read this to you, Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2 and then verse 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 4. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then we see it happening in Samaria, Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then we see it again in Caesarea, Acts chapter 10. Um, Peter's had this revelation from God, and there's a guy called Cornelius who's, who's not a Jew, he's a Gentile, and he gets spoken to by an angel, and they go to get Peter, and Peter goes back, and he finds himself uh, talking about Jesus to this group of Gentiles. And it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then we read about it again in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, what do we see here in these passages about this baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a number of things. Firstly, we see that it's a separate experience to salvation. Not always, but mostly. People got saved. And then they got baptized or immersed by and in the Holy Spirit, usually through prayer and the laying on of hands. Second thing we see is that the gifts of the Spirit begin to be released then. And most often it started with tongues or prophecy, not, not always, but that's what we see. And then thirdly, we see that when the baptism of the Spirit occurs, that there's a new confidence, there's a new boldness that seems to come out of these people's lives, power to speak or to witness about what Jesus had done in their lives in some way or another. So you see, things change as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember many years ago, uh, actually in Dunedin, we, we had a service very much like this on a Sunday morning, speaking about um, the Holy Spirit and, and baptism. And uh, we invited it people to come forward at the end if they would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit like we're going to do today. And uh, this, this one, one of our students, this young woman, she came forward and, and uh, we prayed with her and kind of coached her through how the whole tongues thing works and, and she began to speak in tongues and that was great. And so as she went away, we just encouraged her that, you know, like any new language, um, she needs to practice it. She'll get more proficient, more fluent in it the more she practiced. So we recommended that before she bed, she just take a few moments and just pray in tongues. So she her away, all good. The following Sunday, I'm in church, obviously a little bit early, and she comes in early and she busts straight up to me. She goes, Pastor Mike, we need to talk. Something is wrong. I'm like, I have no idea what's happened. So like, well, come on, sit down and, and tell me what's going on. She says, well, this is what happened. I went home after church last Sunday. And, and as I got into bed, I did just what you said. You see, I should pray in tongues a little bit. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll pray in tongues for like, maybe two or three minutes, and then I'll go off to sleep. She goes, I couldn't just stop for like two hours. 
She goes, it was amazing. I just prayed and prayed and prayed. It just kept coming out of me. It was unbelievable. It just felt so incredible. And then I went to sleep that night and I got up the next morning and then I headed down to university. And as I was walking across this campus, I saw this friend of mine and she's been making some terrible decisions now for months. And I've been thinking I really need to talk to her, but I've just been so afraid. And she, it was like my feet just took me there. I couldn't even stop it. I went straight up to her. I told her that I loved her. I told her that God loved her, but she needed to sort her life out and turn it around. And she cried and I prayed with her like, What's going wrong? She goes, what's happened to me? And I just, I just said to her, nothing's wrong. Welcome to life with the Holy Spirit. So we need to talk a little bit more this morning, not just about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that is and how that works, but about this whole thing of speaking in tongues. Now, to start with, it's good to know that there are kind of a couple of iterations, a couple of, of types of the gift of speaking in tongues. The first is a personal gift. That's for the purpose of prayer, for intercession, for praise. Uh, in fact, it's the only spiritual gift that's given purely for the benefit of the person who receives it. It's the only one. Now, now there's a, an, another gift of tongues, and it's generally considered the ministry gift of tongues. It's for use with groups of believers, and it should, uh, Scripture says, be used with the gift of interpretation. Now, that can be uh, within the same person, or it can be someone else. You know, someone brings the, a, a message of tongues, and then someone else will be given the interpretation of that. It should work that way. You can read all about it in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 to 28, if you're interested and want to read more about that. But today, we're going to talk a little bit about the personal gift of tongues. And there's four things you need to understand about the personal gift of tongues. Firstly, it's intended for every believer. Jesus says in Mark 16, verse 17, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Paul says to the church in Corinth, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And the message is clear, like it's there for you if you want it. The second thing we need to realize about the gift of tongues is that it builds you up spiritually. It builds you up. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Now, edifies is not really a word that we, we use a whole lot. You know, don't bust into someone at the cafe. Hey, you doing, bro? Feeling edified? I mean, we don't really use that, but, but the, the Greek word that's translated edifies um, refers to a builder who builds a house. A builder who builds a house. You see, when you speak in tongues, it builds you like a builder builds a house. It, it provides structure and strength. It takes you higher. It builds you. That's an awesome thing. And then thirdly, it helps you pray. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. I think this is so important, right? I don't know about you guys, but I find that I hear this a lot, and sometimes to be truthful, I hear it coming out of my own mouth. That I think we do a lot of praying at God rather than to God. I think we do a lot of praying that's not really connecting with God. We're just kind of saying things out in the ether and hoping that there's maybe someone there who's listening. That's what I love about speaking in tongues, that when you speak in tongues, it's your spirit praying directly to God, like the spirit connection is happening there. And that means a whole lot to me personally. Romans 8, 26 says this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It was like when I was praying for that girl, what I felt, just I felt so deep for her, but I just didn't have the words in English. And as a result, tongues came out and it just somehow got those emotions out. And, you know, to have this that speaks directly to God and not only to God, but is speaking the will of God, man, that is, that's a win. I think what's powerful about it is that it, I think tongues, because it's praying from our spirit, not our mind, is that it bypasses our own agendas and preferences. And that is powerful. The fourth thing, fourth thing we need to know about praying in tongues is that it increases our faith. Jude chapter 1, verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues directly to God, praying God's will in a way that builds you, actually builds you spiritually, is also something that builds your faith. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty amazing to me. And certainly that's been my experience over the years. So the question then, right, is why isn't everyone in every church around the world praying in tongues? Well, there are a few objections people have. You know, whenever the things of the Spirit come up, there are always objections. Remember my parents telling me that when they discovered the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the 70s, uh, you know, the 70s was, became known as, um, as the charismatic renewal when the gifts of the Spirit were kind of renewed again in the church, it really come to significant global prominence in the very early 1900s through an astonishing revival in a, in a place in was it Los Angeles, wasn't it? Azusa Street was in Los Angeles. And uh, people from all over the world came to see what God was doing, and it was an extraordinary thing. And there was this renewal that kind of really went around the world again in the 70s. And my mom and dad were a part of an Anglican church. But they began to hear about these people and you could go to this person's place, and there was like a meeting on a Thursday night. You can go there, and crazy stuff is happening. People are getting this thing called the baptism of the Spirit, and they're speaking in other tongues. It's kind of weird, and, and, and people are getting healed, and, you know, the whole thing. And as this slowly came to be known, my parents' minister on a Sunday morning warned everybody not to go anywhere near anyone who's into any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, mum and dad were kind of feeling like their Christianity was lacking something, and so they got invited along, so they went to one of these small groups. They got baptized in the Spirit. They got released in the gift of tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it was just like, it's just like their whole world changed. Like everything just took off. They began to, to see the gifts of the Spirit happening in their life. They began to pray for people and see people getting healed. Like it was just crazy stuff. It was like this was something they'd been looking for their whole lives. And when their minister found out, they were told that they need not bother coming back to church again. Whenever the Spirit begins to move in history, there are always objections. And why might that be? You know, the Bible tells us we have an enemy of our souls, right? We have the enemy, this enemy called Satan. And certainly, if I was the enemy of those who professed Christ. If I could, in some way, separate Christians from the power of the indwelling Spirit of God that brings power and authority into Christians' lives at a whole different level, man, I would certainly be allocating some of my resources to that end. And that's what we see. You see, there are a whole bunch of objections people have about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you probably the three top ones 
today. Good for us to be aware of what the arguments are out there. The first argument is this, is that it's not for today. In fact, some say that the things of the Spirit stopped when the apostles died, that it was just for that apostolic era. It's a position, a theological position called cessationalism. Uh, and, and the scripture that's used to justify it is 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read it to you. Uh, verses 8 to 10, it says, As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. Hence the word cessationalism. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. Now the argument is that when the apostles died and then when the Bible was completed, when the biblical canon came together, that that was all that we need. And so then kind of the Holy Spirit stopped doing its thing and people didn't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore. Now there are a whole bunch of problems with this reasoning. Um, two of them being firstly that the canon of Scripture wasn't actually completed until at least 250 years after the final apostle died. So what about the church in those two and a half centuries? But secondly, if you read this in context and you actually read on a little bit further, you see what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about the coming of the Bible being put together. He's talking about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, when we will see him face to face. And when we see Jesus, we don't need prophecy, we don't need tongues, we don't need other people passing on messages because now we're face to face with Jesus. That's what the scripture is talking about. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he specifically says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do we really think that Paul's contradicting himself? That in one passage of scripture, he's saying, hey, you know, tongues will end. And another one, he's saying, tongues are not going to end. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, really, when you look at it. We've got one scripture taken significantly out of context. Um, and I, I feel I can say with a, a real assurance and confidence this morning, biblically, that the baptism of the Spirit is for today. The second objection we find around this is that it's not for everyone. And I think we've already addressed that quite well, that God's intent is that it is for everyone, but not everyone has to receive it. You know, God's desire is clear that people should, but the reality is, is that we don't have to. Our salvation is not dependent upon it, but the advantages of having the baptism of the Spirit, these gifts that God gives, are absolutely huge. It won't get you saved, but it'll sure help with everything else that you deal with as a Christian. The final uh, reason or the objection we're going to look at this morning is that it's just emotionalism. Now, the Bible is clear that this isn't an emotional experience. It's a spiritual experience. 1 Corinthians 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. You know, the accusation of emotionalism tends to be a catch-all reason for every out-of-the-ordinary thing that happens when people encounter the Holy Spirit. And as I've already said, the reality is speaking in tongues is a bit weird. It's a bit weird when you first start as well. You these kind of sounds coming out your mouth and you're not quite sure if you're just making this up or if this is actually something authentic. It's a little bit unusual. But for us just to therefore go, oh, well, it's all emotionalism. It's all emotional immaturity. I think that that is not rational, logical, and it's certainly not accurate. I think that you can see far more emotionalism in the world than you do in the church when it comes to speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Spirit. I mean, I remember when I was at university, um, I wasn't saved until I'd finished my undergrad degree. And um, I spent uh, some time at a local drinking establishment uh, in Dunedin. 
confession time. But you know what? When you go to the pub and you see people drinking to excess, you very quickly see wonderful examples of emotional immaturity. In fact, you see the full range of the human uh, emotional experience comes out usually when someone drinks. And I've noticed four distinct stages. The first stage when someone drinks, as they've had their first four or five drinks, first stage is they get to this lovely, relaxed, calm place where, where, where they're very personable and they're friendly. It's a lovely, lovely, lovely part to it. But however, as they continue drinking another four or five drinks, then what happens is they get to this stage two, and now they're all super hyper, and they're excited, and they're pumped, and they're party, 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 and it's awesome, and you see all these very strong, joyful emotions coming out, often without, without any real regulation. Then after a, another few drinks, we get to stage three. Now, this is an interesting stage, which is when a whole different set of emotions come out. People get depressed, and, and they get argumentative, and they get angry. This is when the choleric comes out. You know, it's like, oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I've had so many people want to have a fight with me when they get to stage two of this, and they're all emotional. It's all out of control. And then if they keep drinking, shortly before they pass out, they get to stage four, and stage four is when the remorse comes out, the regret the melancholy personality comes out. You know, it's the, bro, I love you. I'm, bro, I'm so sorry. You know, my, you're my best friend in the world and they just want to hug you and it's just like, go away. You know what I'm saying? And this is, like, this is all just in one night. This is, this is what happens. It all just comes out. And, and they say that we, are the prob- we have the problems with emotionalism. Are you serious? It's ridiculous. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that they spoke in tongues and were emotional. You can get emotional, that's fine. Sometimes I get emotional when I'm speaking in tongues or when I'm worshiping God, when I experience God's presence. But I do not have to be emotional to speak in tongues any more than I have to be emotional to speak in English or in any other language. You know, throughout history, the baptism of the Spirit has caused controversy just like it did throughout Acts. Yet the Holy Spirit has been there when people want more of the reality of God in their lives. When people are baptized in the Spirit, it's like they get plugged into the power of God in a fresh and invigorating way. So as we come to a close, we need to go then into, well, how does one get baptized in the Spirit, and how does one receive the gifts of the Spirit, whether that be tongues or prophecy or anything else? Well, I think the first step is this. So you've got to accept the Word of God. Yeah, we see this in, in Acts chapter 8 with the Christians in Samaria. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. See, it starts with accepting the word of God. You've got to take this thing at face value. You've got to make a decision on whether or not the Bible is true. And if you're willing to accept it and make a stand on that and step out in faith in that, I think that's the first place you've got to come to if you're going to see the supernatural things of God take place in your life. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to receive the Holy Spirit through prayer, maybe through having someone laying hands on you. It's like receiving a gift from someone, but when we receive a gift from someone in the natural, it's so much more, so much easier, right? We just, you know, they hand a gift over and you take it off them. And yet, when we try and receive something spiritually, we so easily second-guess ourselves. Well, am, am I worthy to receive this with God? I mean, I'm a sinner. And why would God, does God really love me? And why would he give this to me? I'm not sure if God would give this to me. I think the devil might sneak in and give me something instead. And we have all these weird things that go on. You know, when you give a gift to somebody you love, 
It would be ridiculous for them to go, oh, no, 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 I couldn't take that. No, I'm not worthy. No, no, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough to earn this. And you're like, well, no, no, it's like your birthday, man. It's okay. You were born. You didn't have anything to do with that. It's just a, just a gift. We love you, you know? Like, no, 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 I don't think you really love me. I don't think you really care. You're like, bro, what is the problem here? You just want to give him a gift, right? God just wants to give us a gift. That's what he loves us, and he's made this available. And it comes to the place where you've just got to make a decision to receive it. I receive it. Thank you. Now, obviously, when you give a gift physically, you can feel the transfer. You don't always feel that in the spiritual. Sometimes you do. But if we accept the word of God, then we've got to make a decision to receive it. Say, thank you, God, I receive that in faith. And then the third step is in faith, to speak in tongues, to prophesy. It's a matter of beginning, trusting that the Holy Spirit will give you the words of a new language, of a heavenly language as you begin. And, and here's the thing, you've got to start speaking. You've got to start moving your mouth. It's not some sort of holy possession, you know, where they take over your body and moves your mouth for you like Chucky on one of those horror movies. It's, God doesn't do that. Maybe the devil does, but God doesn't do that. And so he requires us in faith to start speaking, to move your mouth, and to allow what comes out to come from your spirit. And I think this is one of the key differences, right? When we speak, normally it comes from our mind. It comes from our mind down and out our mouths. It's almost like you need to say to your mind, hey, mind, I so appreciate you. You're just doing a top job. But you can just take a tea break for five minutes because we're just going to allow spirit to do some stuff here. You know, you've almost got to shut that down for a moment, allow the spirit to come. I find that it comes up from inside here rather than down from here. And, and here's the thing when you're speaking in tongues. The sounds sound weird when you start. It's a bit awkward. It's okay. Welcome to real life. If you've ever tried to learn another language, it sounds weird. I remember we were on a mission trip to Africa with Pastor Bob in Malawi, and I'm trying to learn some local chichiwa. It just sounded ridiculous to me. Yet you have faith, and you start saying the words and making the sounds, and, and then it begins. Likewise with the gift of tongues. You need to start. And like with any new language, with practice and with, you know, the more you do it, fluency comes. You become more comfortable with your prayer language. It becomes something that just becomes easy to do. It's a wonderful thing. Now, you here today might be like many people who get prayed for. And, uh, and, and, and the tongues and, and other gifts, man, they're just there. It just happens, easy, it just begins immediately. Or you might be like me. It takes, it takes a couple of weeks to shut the head down a little bit and just allow the spirit to flow out of you. That's okay. Either way, if you're here this morning, you're not baptized in the Spirit. I want you to know God has a gift for you. You just have to accept Him at His word, have to be willing to receive it, be brave enough to just step out in faith. Will you trust Him today? You know, in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13, Jesus says this. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Pretty straightforward, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he gives a great illustration. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, I'll have uh, $2 chips, a hot dog, and a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This morning, if you would like to receive the baptism of the Spirit, if you'd like to receive what God has poured out today, if you'd like to take that next step in your journey, then uh, in a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing together, and we're just going to invite you to come forward and just stand along the front, and, and some of our team are going to come and just stand with you, and they're going to, and they're going to lay hands on you, and they're going to ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and, and they're going to ask God to release the gifts of the Spirit in your life. And if that for you includes tongues, then at that point, you're just going to start speaking, and they're going to start praying in tongues around you. It's, you know, no one's going to hear uh, what's going on, but you're going to start speaking and let what comes out, comes out. Step in in confidence. And I believe God is going to meet a whole bunch of us here this morning. We had a great service in the first service. We had a whole bunch of people filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And, and we've got a couple of people as well who are still on that journey that the tongues thing hasn't happened yet, just like it did with me. Um, but God has definitely filled them with the Spirit in a fresh way. And it's a wonderful thing. So if that's you this morning, as we begin to sing, why don't you come up the front here and be a great privilege for us to, to stand with you and, and pray for that baptism of the Spirit on your life. Come on, let's get to our feet this morning as I pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your Word, God. I thank you that faith comes by hearing your Word, Lord, and that as we accept your Word, God, and as we step out in faith, we can have the things that your Word promises us. Holy Spirit, we'd just so love it if you would just fill us afresh this morning. Uh, God, we trust you. God, that you will give us fantastic gifts. And I pray, God, for a whole bunch of people here this morning. I pray just a, a release, God, into a, a new experience of their Christianity, a new walk with you, new life. God, I pray that in Jesus' name.